Welcome, everybody. Thank you for those that participated in the, uh, the quick interactive poll, in case you still want to add to this um, before I really get rolling. It's been fun to see what everyone's doing, mostly print books. Uh, I did get one um, Kindle book from Nigel on here, but an interesting mix of books on Seneca. I posted mine over here, so I'm reading two books in tandem, Philip Holman's and uh, Philip Goth's new um, uh, book on Galileo's era. So it's neuroscience meets um, uh, literature in a very interesting way. Uh, books on basketball, the new Tahanisi Coates book, book on local history, Homer's Iliad. So very interesting, mostly print. I was curious to see how this goes. Um, very cool. Okay, so let's let's jump into things a little bit here. Uh, live updates, I will mention this, because I am talking about social media and reading, I thought I would just embrace this as a thing. So I will be doing, um, through the magic of the internet, some live tweeting during my talk. Uh, some. So these are basically the footnotes for my talk. If you want to follow this, um, you don't need to sign up for a Twitter account because my tweets are public. So anything that I share, you can just grab it. Anything I mention during this, in case you want to, if you see an article or a book thing, I We'll share this out for everyone, so no need to take notes uh, necessarily. But yeah, if you think of this uh, this, this talk as uh, uh, a book form, these are the footnotes. Everything that's going to be on the uh, on the uh, the tweets coming as I'm talking, and then immediately right after. So no need to remember any of this uh, necessarily. Okay. All right, so I'm going to do this in four parts, a uh, quick introduction, uh, talk about print, talk about digital, and then we'll talk uh, at the end of social media and reading. And I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear about what you're thinking about all of this. So we'll leave some time for questions and interaction. Uh, briefly about myself, where do I start? Um, I am a bibliophile, amongst other things. That would have been my uh, my preferred intro. Is sort of like I am a book person and uh, someone that this is what I do on vacation. Um, I go to bookstores, take pictures of bookstores, go to libraries, take pictures of libraries. This is Newnham College Library, very pretty. Um, I look at old books. So I'll send out a tweet to this one soon. Um, this is the uh, University Library here at Cambridge, and this is when they had the awesome. I don't know if anyone saw it, the uh, Lines of Thought exhibit where. It just had, I mean, it just had like the best uh, Western science manuscripts, Western world science manuscripts that you've seen. Um, Isaac Newton's handwritten copy of the Principia, so this is him making notes on his first draft. Stephen Hawking's uh, original manuscript for a brief history of time back when it was called From the Big Bang to um, Black Holes, not as catchy a thing, but there's so much history here. So I love looking at stuff like this. I read books about reading and books about other books, and I like going to bookstores and taking pictures of bookstore dogs. So that's me in a, in a, in a nutshell, I think. Um, okay, I'll talk a little bit about the research too. So right, um, right now I am a uh, PhD researcher at the Faculty of Education here at Cambridge. I research specifically the experience of reading on screens and in print and what the difference might be. How does it make us feel? How does it make us think? Um, what kind of, how does this affect our engagement with the things that we're reading on paper and screen? And do these things matter? So that's my uh, digital distractions. I love talking about digital distractions while reading. So um, if you have any stories or thoughts or questions about this, let's let's talk um, during this this uh, this thing. Um, very brief uh, context about myself. So before Cambridge, I used to work at a search engine company called Google, um, and I would run a uh, I ran this very interesting lecture series called Authors at Google. It's now called Talks at Google, but um, I worked directly with book publishers, and they would it was a cool job. They would send me free books, and uh, I'd read them and be like, Oh, who would you like to come speak at Google? And we'll put these talks on YouTube. Um, the idea behind this is that um, uh, I actually thought this is one of the neater things. Google 
Google did because it was a bookstore. Like if you think of what a bookstore talk is, like it's great for the 20 or 30 people that get to go see these things. But when we put them on YouTube, we're sharing the experience with thousands, tens of thousands, even a million people. So I really liked what we got to do. Um, all kinds of speakers from Tina Fey, one of my favorite, um, uh, person, Bossy Pants is a really good one. Um, we've had all, all, all sorts of literary highlights. People have written books. Uh, uh, we got then Senator Obama uh, when uh, we, we kind of cheated on this one, but he'd written two books, so he was still an author and was like, yeah, come, come talk about anything you want. Um, and he did. So there's a, there's a great repository of talks online if you're into these sort of things. Um, over, I think we, we, they have over 1,100 videos uh, online and all sorts of things. I think it's an amazing library. Um, but anyways, I'm getting to that point because like this really got me thinking about the topic that I'm talking about today in terms of like, yeah, um, in terms of like present events and these sort of things, like, well, we can be both here and not here. And I think that's one of the virtues of social media uh, for some of these things. Before I get too far into things, um, the personal element of books, I thought this would be a good way to kind of like frame our thinking on this, that um, books are a lot of things. Like lately we've been thinking, I've been thinking about books as objects. Books are um, books are, are many things. They're, uh, they think they're things we study with, they're things we think with, and they're, they're things that make us feel, for sure. Um, and just thinking about book events, too, because I used to run a lot of these events with all kinds of authors, Salman Rushdie and um, Hillary Clinton and Obama and all of that. And I was like, there was something about this, this, this kind of like, and I do too, I collect signed books. Um, but that transaction between reader and author, and this very tangible presence of signed books, um, the, the idea of sort of like connecting with an author, like there is something unique about this. Um, and I think you're all here for maybe the same reason. It's like, oh, you could listen to this sort of talk um, over audio, over YouTube, or however this is disseminated. But there's something about the in-person experience that's hard to replicate. Um, so there's signed books, there's getting to interact, and like being able to actually like see the things in person. This is a good professional tip for any aspiring writers out there. This is, it's a joke, obviously, but um, it comes from a real life experience. And I was like, if you want to do a book signing, never ever go up against like cute animal event things. Um, it's not going to go well, but anyways, the idea of like the in-person uh, sort of things. Okay, that's my that's my long-winded intro. Let's get into things in terms of print. So one of the things we seem to forget is that books are basically uh, the book is a codex form is our most enduring form of information technology, or one of the most enduring forms of technology. Um, we think about these things, and you know, like these are all different forms, and we've gotten to, into this. Um, uh, it's very interesting. I was on. Uh, I had a chance to chat uh, with the. BBC on BBC Radio this morning, uh, yesterday morning, and uh, there was a distinction between like you know uh, people said repeatedly real books by which they meant print books and e-books or reading on a tablet. So there's this still kind of divide between like oh this isn't a real book necessarily it's something else. And I was like huh I wonder about that. Um, yeah I'll, I'll say more on that in a second. But this is just uh, these are just some like framing thoughts. Uh, what is a book? So I like, I like this definition here. This is from Robert Darton. Um, he is a, uh, a book historian, amongst other things. But let me read this out for you. Uh, what is a book? Our old definition was focused on an object. Our new definition needs to focus on a function. A book is no longer a physical thing. A book is what a book does. And what does a book do? 
Um, so I'm going to be kind of like giving various answers to this throughout and curious about what you think. Um, and he wrote this um, about a decade ago now, but he was talking about when books, uh, did, uh, Google Books and eBooks and Kindles were first becoming a thing. But I like that as a framing question. For parents in the audience, I like this book too by Lane Smith. Um, it's called It's a Book, but it's a very cute introduction. Um, and it's a, it's a picture book, but um, it gets at things in a very simple way. And it's a, a, the two characters and what do you have? It's a book. Um, Sorry, the picture quality isn't that great, but like the, this is one of the virtues. This uh, Robert Darnton's question about uh, what does a book do? Can it text? No, it can't. It can't tweet. It doesn't have Wi-Fi. It can't make noise. It's just a. It's just a book. And there's uh, the limitations. Actually, are uh, part of the virtues of this. We'll talk. I'll talk about this a little bit more in terms of like immersion and what it is that makes us feel uh, the way we do about printed books as printed objects. Uh, books are also social objects. So I've been finding this kind of interesting that um, at least over the past couple of years, book clubs have become more of a thing again, um, which is very interesting. And social media has played a part in this, uh, which I think is cool. Um, we're worried at least, I'm from the US originally, and when like the bookstore chains and bookstores started to close en masse, uh, we were kind of worried about like, oh, are there gonna be, is, are, what's gonna happen to communities of readers? These things will just sort of disappear. Um, but now we're interesting, this could be a blip, we don't know for sure, but the fact that social media is sort of facilitating these kind of interactions um, in a neat way, and I tried to use our opening activity as a, um, uh, a good starting point and example of this, but it's great. The, the thread that I um, posted about 30 minutes ago has become a really good, uh, I'm surprised, thank you for everyone that posted on these things, but there's good book recommendations in there. Um, and that's, that's amazing, because like, it's hard for us to all talk individually um, if we don't know each other and all these things, but like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook does have this virtue of like everyone can join in a shared conversation when it comes to books, when it comes to these sort of things. I think that's really cool. So there's the sharing thing. Um, and then libraries is the other one I want to talk about. Uh, Neil Gaiman uh, is a big fan, big advocate of love of reading in libraries. I am sharing a link um, on this, probably in about five minutes, on um, uh, Neil Gaiman's lecture. But there's a good one that he did for the reading agency. It's very inspiring. So any parents, or any educators, or anyone that's just inclined in general, like check out uh, Neil's talk on this. It's about 20 minutes, and I have a link to his thing where he just talks about like you know why why love of reading is important, why like we have an obligation to not only ourselves but um, future generations or this sort of thing. It's really good. Um, I'm biased, but I think it's a really good lecture. So let's talk about this. This I'm writing about right now, and I really am curious what any of you might think about this when we do um, question and answer towards the end. But books as social media objects. So there is a certain trend going, and I find this fascinating right now in terms of like books are becoming uh, objects. They are becoming uh, rather than bookshelves in, in terms of like so Instagram uh, uses one example, but Twitter, Facebook, um, any of the, any of the photo sharing platforms fall for this sort of fall under this sort of thing is that uh, beautiful pictures of books are becoming trendy. Not becoming, they are trendy. And there's this weird, very elaborate, I shouldn't say weird, there's a very elaborate kind of like stage making. I call these scenes of reading, social media scenes of reading, where um, it's become very popular to, so the, the book, by the way, doesn't have the 
um, the, the fork and the key and these sort of things um, on it, but you know because it's got that kind of nautical sort of look to it and these sort of things. But there's some identity, self-identity things going on, which um, I still I don't know. I think about this a lot in terms of like I am this sort of reader. This is what my life looks like. I, these are the books that I choose to read. And there's nothing wrong with this, of course. But I think it's interesting that uh, we're, we're starting to kind of identify ourselves with the books we read in a way that I feel like is a little different than before. Um, so. There's these you know, scenes of reading is like, look at me, I'm reading a, a business book and I've got my uh, um, you know, coffee and notepad and phone and I'm not sure how he's taking that picture um, <laughs> now that I'm looking at it. Uh, anyways, these sort of things. Another popular subgenre, cute animals, cute animals and dogs, very cute. Um, but yeah, if you, if you follow things like uh, Bookstagram or Bookworm or these sort of things, like you see, I consider these communities of readers. Um, people who share their reading experiences and share very certain kinds of reading experiences. Um, and book publishers, for sure, are being aware, are very aware of what social media is doing to our reading habits. Um, uh, I'll share an article a little later, probably after this talk, about uh, how book publishers are very much thinking about this. But the idea is that, like, they are taking note. Book cover designs are changing now in terms of, I don't know if you've noticed in the past few years, but primary colors, blocky text that's legible and looks good on a picture, and more importantly, looks good anywhere but a bookshelf has become a thing. This is what book publishers are thinking of now. Um, and it's self-perpetuating, which is kind of neat. I think this is, the, to get to the whole like premise of the talk, is like, is social media changing how we read? And it's like, yes. And uh, it's also changing how books are consumed, which in turn, or reinforces how we're doing these things. I first started thinking about this when the Harry Potter 20, 20th? Yeah, that's right. 20th anniversary uh, book editions came out. And that was a big thing because everyone wanted the different copies of the books, the different houses and all these things. So there was a real sense of kind of like, I want to possess this book as an object. I already have a copy of the book, but I want it in this color and this sort of thing. Uh, I thought that was very interesting. It was very good marketing on their part. Um, books as emotional objects I talked about a little bit. So we have inscriptions. Books are a source of comfort. They're a source of like, you know, um, uh, when we want our alone time and these sort of things, like we can inhabit and be with other people mentally without you know, uh, necessarily being present with them. And uh, Goodreads, I'll talk about Goodreads a little bit later, but um, there's lists. You find things like this, where it's the uh, list of most comforting books, the literary version of bread pudding. Um, and like the, interesting too to see the list of books on this. Sorry, it's a bit small, but there's the uh, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which I've never read actually. But um, there's the Hell, Pride and Prejudice, Little Women, To Kill a Mockingbird. I was like, all right, interesting. So there is this idea of like books as comfort, which you know we're probably familiar with. Um, but uh, there's something to that. Books is uh, our emotional connection with books, I think. Um, longer quote, this one is from a, um, a comic studies one, but I find this very interesting in terms of like in my own research, materiality definitely matters. And by that, what I mean is touch really matters. Uh, so the quote is, it's easy to forget that we read or rather we use comics or in this case books in a very physical way. They can be held in different ways, cradled in your hand, gripped at the edges. We know how far into a book we read because we can feel how many pages are left. There are also smells of dust, glue and paper and these sort of things. Like I hear this very often when I talk to people. I'd be curious if you have similar or different experiences, but when I ask people, it's like, oh, you prefer print or you prefer digital. Why do you prefer this or that? But the touch thing, and there's research that certainly suggests a couple of things, that for longer books, long print books and these sort of things, um, we, enjoy, we tend to enjoy books more. We feel, feel more immersed when we can actually like uh, feel ourselves, because you know, it's like, oh, there's only 20 pages left in the book. Like, you know, I want to speed up and see what 
what happens at the end of these sort of things. So that is harder to do um, with a digital book. Um, not impossible, because there are ways to, that they kind of simulate the experience, but the general consensus is that, yeah, it doesn't feel like the same thing. Um, physicality, like this comes up, this manifests in sort of weird ways. Um, so there's the, uh, there is this print nostalgia thing. Um, this is a real thing, by the way, it's not a joke. So this is uh, the smell of old books. I'm actually, I'm wearing it right now in case anyone wants to come <laughs> and uh, is curious what, it's, uh, what it smells like. So feel free to come and smell me after the talk. <laughs> I'd like to see anyone else say that in a festival science talk. Um, but it is a real thing. And it smells roughly of like kind of an earthy, woodsy smell and uh, hints of vanilla. It's very pleasant, actually. It reminds me of a bookstore. Um, weird ways this manifests, though. So this is, this is also not a joke, just so that we're clear. But this was a, a, a bit of a scam thing that went around for a few years, three years ago. Of course, it was China. Um, but they were selling. Um, Cambridge Library bottled air. There's no way to actually know if they really went into the, the uh, sorry, not the bottling, the university library or the college, lo college libraries, but um, they made a pretty penny or two off of this. I can't believe it. Um, so there's really something to this. Um, if we have any librarian people here, this is a good way to increase your uh, budget type things. But I was like, all right, so this speaks to something, right? This is a weird um, example, but it also says like, oh, there is something we seem to value about that experience. If we can't physically go to the Cambridge Library, the next best thing is, is breathing the air, which some of these hallowed works do. Um, I don't know what to make of that necessarily, but like the fact that like I don't dismiss it as necessarily weird and ridiculous because it's like, all right, it's a thing that happened, and people are behaving that way for a reason. Um, again, materiality, talking about that. Books as memory objects. Um, I don't know about for you, so this is like my personal thing, but books in a way are, are sort of like... Um, uh, like a soundtrack for I feel like the past like few decades of my life. Like there are certain books that I can just, I can tell you how old I was, where I lived, uh, more or less where I was in, uh, in terms of my life um, because of the books I read. They, they have this kind of Proust and the Proust thing with the Madeline and um, uh, bringing back a whole surge of memories and life experiences. Sometimes books will do that, especially the physical books. I don't know why it's so easy for me to remember, but I can remember almost literally every, where I've bought every physical um, book that I've gotten. This one came from the Blackwell's um, uh, at Oxford bookstore. Like my copy of Catcher in the Rye came from Powell's books in uh, uh, Portland, Oregon. Um, but somehow it's just like easy to remember. It's like I remember the time and place. So um, I don't know a better way to put it, but like it's sort of books for me serve as memory objects and kind of like, oh yes, some people feel the same way about songs. Like if you're a, um, uh, uh, depending on what, what age, like a certain genre of music takes you back in a certain way to certain things. For me, books are sort of like that. Um, I like this quote, too, and I want to read this one because this is one of my favorite ones, actually. Great book, by the way, Italo Calvino's <laughs> If on a Winter Night's a Traveler. And by great, I mean super weird but interesting because it is a metafiction novel about a reader reading a book um, and the book kind of uh, has multiple starting points, and it's kind of like it's the story of a person reading a book called If on a Winter Night's a Traveler. Uh, very wacky, but very interesting. Um, I like this, um, this particular, because it describes the essence of how I feel. Reading is always this. There is, a, there is a thing that is there, a thing made of writing, a solid material object which cannot be changed. And through this thing, we measure ourselves against someone else that is not present, something else that belongs to the immaterial, invisible world because it can only be thought, imagined, or because it was once and is no longer past loss attainable. 
I like that. Um, you gotta remember, he wrote this in the, um, I don't know, the, the 70s or so, so this predates a lot of things, but actually, I don't, I don't know. Um, the, the idea of like reading and uh, computerized things comes up later in the book if you, if you wanna read it, which I recommend, but um, it's interesting to think that there's things about this uh, sentiment from Calvino which I think are true, and uh, things that feel like maybe they need a little bit of revision. Mm, something to think about, be curious if, if anyone has thoughts on this so far. So that, that's print. Um, not saying uh, I'm done talking about print, but let's, let's move on to digital a little bit, specifically reading on screens. So there are a lot of different ways. This is one of the things I research now is like there are a lot of different ways that we read on screens, read on our, our phones, our tablets, our uh, laptops, our desktops, and these sort of things. I, uh, I did a very, very unscientific poll when I spoke about this last time at the Hay Festival, um, was just sort of like, and this, I would say, I, I'm sharing this mostly because um, the number, the ratio mostly, I, I would say in my head, um, it's probably about a, a four out of every five people prefer printed books. Depends on the audience, depends on um, you know when I ask the question and these sort of things, but um, that is generally the preference I get here. Um, I'd be curious if, like, if we did this poll right now, um, how it would be different if it would be closer to 50-50 or not. Um, Interestingly enough, I kind of prefer, uh, I would probably fall under the, uh, the no preference category or not really sure because it depends. It depends on my mood. There's certain books that uh, for work reading, I do a lot of uh, reading for my research things and I prefer screens because of underlining and annotating and saving these sort of things. Um, print books are kind of more relaxing. It's sort of like we spend enough time on screens that I feel like I need a break. Print time is a time away from screens which is kind of you know relaxing in its own way and it feels more pleasurable. Um, I want to take a step back for a second because a lot of these arguments that we're having about, I shouldn't say arguments, but I would say over the past several years, and this is becoming less of a thing, you may have seen articles about um, uh, like, you know, the death of the printed book and like, you know, will ebooks kill, um, you know, uh, old books and all these sort of things. And it turns out the answer is probably not. Um, nothing needs to kill anything in order for it to be a thing. They said this, and these sort of debates, I'm, I'm not poking fun necessarily, but these sort of debates are healthy. Um, these, this happens every time we have a new medium. It happened with radio, it happened with television, it happened with internet, and it's like, oh, this means it's gonna replace all the other technologies, which in itself is a good critical stance to have about this. But in terms of books, like you know, the slide I mentioned earlier, books have been one of the most enduring forms of um, information technology we have. is like printed books aren't going anywhere. Um, there have been all these sort of things. This is a fun one, I think, just for perspective. This is from The Atlantic, but a book wheel. So it's kind of a funny idea that um, this was sort of like, this was the Kindle 500 years ago. It's uh, the idea is like if you wanted to have multiple books for some reason that you wanted to read at the same time um, or like, you know, go through in one sitting, you could have these sort of things. This is a real thing. There's a book wheel. Um, it was one in one of the libraries and you could kind of, uh, you know, rotate through these things. It works for newspapers, any sort of printed matter. We could use one now if we had a Kindle and an iPad and a laptop we wanted to cycle through. But I'll, I'll share a, a link to this article later because it's an interesting perspective. When we talk about technology, and like, you know, there's always this, this kind of like illusion of uh, linear progress in terms of like technology always goes like this. Sometimes it always also kind of goes like this, ups and downs. And um, this is just a good historical perspective uh, on that. Um, 
So I was in Silicon Valley when, uh, when um, gosh, I really remember when uh, uh, phones and tablets and all these things really came out. And that really felt like it changed the texture of everyday life almost overnight. You gotta remember I was working at Google, so it was a very uh, text sort of place. But from we went from like, you know, cute little flip phones and kind of like you could text um, things really quickly to like all of a sudden you had to be connected all the time and uh, you had access to your email and all these things. And uh, I was still very interested. So the first iPad came out in 2012, I think. Um, but the, one of the things that they really pushed was iBooks, even way back then. Now it's just called Books. Um, but iBooks was one of the main apps that they were sort of always doing these things. And this is an old screenshot from the old original Apple ad, which I find fascinating. They don't say this anymore. Um, reading is so natural on an iPad, the technology seems to disappear. And I'm like, mm, is it, does it? Um, I feel like no, but they were really trying to push that, right? Because there was something about the word natural in particular, because they anticipated the people would be like, oh, I don't like this. It's, uh, you know, it feels clunky. It doesn't feel very, uh, like it misses the paper thing. So Apple was trying to like get into that sort of rhetoric thing. Uh, and they've changed that now. Now it's more based on functionality in terms of like, isn't it cool now? You can share all the things, access the whatever. So it's a much more digital rhetoric. But things have changed a lot in the past like several years. So I thought this was a good example. Um, what else can I say? I thought this was a good one. I really like showing vacation slides, like especially like in public settings like this. But this was a good one too, I thought. This was from Wales. We went to the, um, on our way to the Hay Festival. Um, so this was your portable library from a long time ago. They would have uh, two poor bastards uh, carry this uh, for a rich man's uh, you know, book traveling book library and then like fit how many books you could have in there. Um, so this was a traveling library. This is the book chest from, uh, 14th century, uh, ironbound, and uh, all these things for the traveling library of the medieval bishop. It was very interesting, and it's sort of like now we have uh, different affordances for this sort of thing. Now we have Kindles. Now we have Kindles, and just just for a frame of reference to see how much has changed over a relatively short amount of time. So a book, roughly speaking, is one megabyte, usually um, half that or less. Um, so the Kindle, even the most rudimentary Kindle design can now hold, um, you know, 6,000 books or 10,000 books, which is, to me, that's still mind-boggling in terms of just like information technology and these sort of things. Um, that is a plus. That is a plus in the digital technology that I feel like is unmitigated. Amazon keeps pushing the waterproof thing. I don't know why they keep doing this in terms of like you can read the Kindle in the bathtub and the shower and all these things. Like, yeah, you can, but... Um, I don't know, like some, some technology things I don't understand quite as well as, um, um, as I used to, and this is sort of one of them. I was like, oh, we're not, I don't know. Like, you know, it is certainly, it's what, it gives you options. I'll leave it at that. Um, this one comes up a lot too in terms of print or digital or both. Um, and unfortunately, this, the unsatisfying answer is a little bit of like, it's hard to say. Um, for leisure reading, if you want to enjoy it more, longer works of fiction, it seems like, I have to really hedge my language here, um, uh, that print is better. If you want to remember things, because it seems like, um, I like to think of the printed pages, like the, the, the pages are a unit of thought. This is how we're used to thinking in terms of pages, because uh, almost all of us here have grown up reading on a page. So we're used to that. We think in terms of pages. Um, it's much easier, and um, other, other research has shown that um, uh, our brains work much better in terms of like, oh, 
I remember uh, Lyra said a quote on the bottom of the left-hand corner of the page and these sort of things. That's much more common, much more prevalent um, on print books than digital books. Uh, digital books, because there is no point of reference, because there is no, it's basically just scrolling. We're scrolling all the time. It's much harder to get that same sense of um, interior architecture or like a concept map sort of thing. It's much harder to be like, that was somewhere, but I can't remember where it was in the middle. Um, because we're scrolling, because it is a fixed thing that um, I find this very interesting in terms of like, in terms of memory and in terms of finding our place in a book. We seem to work better when we navigate um, in a printed format. Um, the question comes up a lot. Still a big debate about uh, benefits in terms of reading for literacy for people, both young and old, um, print and digital. Smaller, uh, smaller article type things are harder to measure. Um, it's kind of mixed. I would say like it's harder to find um, uh, effects that show like um, you know, one is better than the other when you're reading shorter things like say a, a, a Economist article or a Guardian article or these uh, uh, like short encounters with text seem to be fine. Um, Hard, hard to say, like it's a very um, uh, unsatisfying answer, but we don't really know right now. So this is why we're continuing to have conversations just like this to figure out what does work. Are our habits changing and can we get used to these changes? Or is this just a blip? Like is everything just gonna be like, you know, maybe we'll, we will go back to print in five or 10 years. We honestly don't know. Um, I think it'll, it'll be sort of similar like music, um, which is also interesting because vinyl is making a comeback, or at least in the US it's making a comeback. Vinyl records and these sort of things, and we like collecting, we like the sound quality. So books, I, I anticipate something sort of like vinyl um, in that sense. So this is some of the research I do across different age groups. I thought I'd mention this, that uh, roughly speaking, there's three groups, print-centric, the ones that prefer print all the way, um, some that prefer digital all the way for a number of reasons, for accessibility, for cost. Um, portability and all that. And a third group, which I find most interesting, I call them the medium agnostic group. So that's the idea that they have no preference. They have no stated preference. They're like, doesn't matter. I'll get the words any way I can get them. Um, so I do wonder in the coming years, like, will this change? Will our preferences, the 80% I showed you before who prefer print, um, will that be closer to 50 or 60% uh, or 30% in terms of like we have no preference and we can go either way for print. I'm not sure, I honestly don't know, but it depends on like where technology uh, goes and uh, also like a lot of like socioeconomic factors, like our book publishers still gonna be um, as, uh, as prolific as they are right now um, in print form, maybe. Um, a note on screens, I just have to bring this up. This isn't entirely related to the talk, but um, uh, try not to read on like uh, blue light screens. So that means your, your phone, your tablet, and these sort of things before bedtime. It's horrible for us. It's the younger you are, the worse this is for you. So if, like for parents, I just bring this up as a, as a thing to keep in mind. It's like if you want to relax with a good book at the end of the night, um, consider Kindle or consider print book. And then Matthew Walker's book talks about this a lot more, why this is actually important, why blue light is horrible for our sleep and horrible for um, our health when it comes to nighttime habits. Um, easier said than done, though. Like, I do it sometimes, too. So, uh, yeah, this is, take this with a grain of salt, but we do know that the blue light does affect us a little bit, but it is, like, subtle changes to our habits can make a big difference. I wanna talk about this a little bit, too, because I feel like this isn't as um, um, uh, prevalent as, um, uh, it, it should be talked about more, I think, in terms of, like, how are, how are publishers, and I mean the big publishers, big and small, using, um, analytics is a fancy way of saying, 
uh, how we behave online, like you know, what's going to make you click on this? How long um, do you spend on a web page or a book? And they're starting; they've been doing this with, for websites for uh, for years, but now they're doing it with books and eBooks in particular. So Jelly Books is a very interesting uh, startup company based in London. And they work with all the big publishers. But what's fascinating about this to me is that, I don't know, it looks really creepy in terms of like they're spying on like how often uh, you engage with the book. But it is, the idea is you sign up for this thing and you get a free book, a copy of this book in exchange for your privacy and all of that. So um, up to you. I, I, have, I have mixed thoughts on this. But what's fascinating, if you look at this uh, bar graph here, um, you can actually see things. And users, uh, publishers really want this information in terms of like how many people are finishing books? What's the attrition rate? Um, publishers really want things that um, uh, you know, like show good completion rate. They want to know like are users finishing their books and these sort of things. And then the, uh, this the sort of thing is better. This is not ideal after the first or second chapter where it just drops off a cliff and nobody finishes the book. But this is what publishers are looking at nowadays. So in terms of like how internet and online things are changing our reading habits, publishers are very aware of this sort of thing. Um, Amazon, I, I, think, I think this is fascinating too, in terms of just sort of like, they'll also look at maps. Like again, it's sort of weird because like reading time is sort of like our private time, but it can actually see depending on uh, what you opt into, like larger blocks. And I was like, okay, Tyler read a book between six and uh, 8 p.m., that's pretty good. Um, on the next day, a little bit, a little bit intermittent, so like blocks and see like that, but they wanna know, interestingly enough, what, uh, what our reading habits are. And like, they, they're not unsurprising in the morning, maybe we're getting ready for work, um, we're having a slow day. Weekends tend to be a little more um, open for reading, long blocks in the evening, but yeah, so this is one usage pattern of um, some aggregate of readers here to see like, okay, a lot of reading seems to happen in the evening, um, just before bedtime is popular too, early morning not as much. So uh, publishers are using this information, I think, in interesting ways. And this applies not just to books, this applies to news, this applies to basically anything we read online. Um, Interesting though, so like publishers, I'm gonna speed up a little bit so that we have time for questions, but uh, this is from Penguin, the, the main website uh, for authors in particular, but yeah, they want authors to be on social media. They want them to be savvy so that they can reach certain readers. So there's Snapchat just for authors. Um, the thing I mentioned with social media, I'll share a link to this one in case you're interested. Um, is social media influ influencing book cover design? Yeah, absolutely. It is, like, because we want, like, you know, really good-looking books that, like, nowadays, believe it or not, we do judge a book by its cover. So, like, the idea that book publishers are keeping this in mind and, like, we want to have, like, uh, there's also been an emphasis on higher-quality books for a while. I don't know. Maybe you also remember this. Um, paper quality was really starting to be kind of flimsy and all of these things, and um, it's still true for some publishers, but there's been a switch now to, like, beautiful objects. We want things that feel weighty. If we're reading a certain book, it's got to have, like, thicker quality paper and a nice cover and these sort of things. Book publishers are taking this in, uh, to heart, and I think we are, too. Um, I bring this up just briefly. This goes with the uh, the last slide, but so at Google, uh, uh, like websites, uh, website design and user design is one of the things I worked on, but there's a thing called the F-shaped pattern. So this applies mostly to online reading, but the idea is that, so this is a heat map. Um, it's uh, basically a camera that looks at where your eyeballs, how long your eyeballs spend on a certain uh, uh, part of the website. Um, so red, darker colors, hotter colors mean that 
you spent longer on this. And it's sort of like, yeah, you can see the F-shaped pattern in terms of, uh, you know, sort of like, yeah, read most of the, to this line, skipped, read, 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 don't care anymore. Same sort of thing here, but this is fairly consistent. Um, and the interesting thing that I find about this is that, I mean, if you want proof of this, like just think for an example of like, have you ever, ever seen important information on the bottom right-hand corner of a web page? Um, usually not, and hopefully the web designer's fired if they do that. Um, but keep this in mind, it's like this is how Google search results work, this is how like all websites work. News articles and publishers are doing this too. Like it is fairly consistent and we look, we tend to look longer at images, people's faces, cute pictures, these sort of things. So attention grabbing stuff always goes in this area over here. Um, one of the hypotheses I have in terms of like, will, will books start to go this way too? Like, is it possible because we're getting so accustomed to um, reading in a certain online way in sort of this structure, will books eventually be um, like this? I was like, I don't know. I don't think so, but it's interesting to see our carryover between uh, online and print reading habits. Very briefly on this, but I'm noticing more of a trend here. This one's from, um, I think this is from medium.com by uh, time, time on articles, this is becoming a thing. We're really starting to be very cognizant of like how we quantify the reading experience. Uh, so for this one, a lot of websites are starting to do this now, blogs in particular. Uh, how many minutes is this gonna take? Like how many minutes of my time? It's like 11 minutes, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. I think I'll just read the, uh, the, the first paragraph, but these sort of things, like three minutes, okay, yeah, I can do three minutes. Um, this is a very interesting trend, and I actually see this continuing because this is, becomes a competitive advantage for um, uh, publishers that want like short, punchy content. Um, and this is carrying over into social media as well. Audiobooks, I'm not gonna talk about as much, but it always comes up. Um, in terms of, this is another unscientific poll from the Hay Festival, but um, just this debate about like, I don't even know what to, I still don't quite answer this question, but do audiobooks count as reading? Like, do we count them as, uh, I, what do you say when you like, when, you, when you've uh, interacted with an audiobook and have it done? I read an audiobook, I listened to an audiobook, I had an audiobook read to me. Like it's sort of this weird terminological gray area uh, right now, but even just, I was kind of surprised that uh, a good healthy portion of one quarter of all the respondents on this one, again, very unscientific, said like, no, it doesn't count as reading. And I was like, oh, interesting. Um, I'm not sure. Audiobooks are definitely on the rise. Uh, I like audiobooks, especially when I'm doing something boring like chores or um, anything at the gym that reminds me that I'm not, I'm, I'm working very hard to not go anywhere. Um, figuratively. Uh, so I wonder about this. Audiobooks, in case, if anyone is an avid audiobook consumer, uh, uh, bring this up uh, so we can talk about this. I'll share a good article about audiobooks, and this takes more of the, uh, the relativist approach, which I kind of lean towards. And I was like, an audiobook is what you make of it. Um, some of them, I think, are really good. Nothing beats a good audiobook narrator, in my opinion. It was like Philip Pullman. I like Philip Pullman. Great audiobook narrator voice. Um, Full cast audiobook recordings are awesome because it feels like it's not just one person doing multiple characters and voices. To me, that's very immersive. I like, I like full cast audiobook things. Uh, last section, and then we'll open it up to questions because I do want to hear from all of you, like anything that you're interested about or have questions about this. But let me, let me start this section by talking about, so this is what got me interested in the topic in the first place. Nicholas Carr is a journalist, uh, American kind of science writer person, and he wrote a very famous article called Is Google Making Us Stupid? He wrote it in 2000. 
2008. Um, and from this came a book, uh, The Shallows, which I recommend. It's a very interesting book because it felt, uh, it really struck a chord with me. And then he talks about, I'm not thinking the way I used to think. I feel it most strongly when I'm reading. I used to find it easy to immerse myself in a book or a lengthy article, um, but that's really the case now. My concentration starts to drift after a page or two. I get fidgety, lose the thread, begin looking for something else to do. Um, yeah, this, this was me probably eight years ago, and I felt like the, the sad part wasn't, so much, wasn't only just the fidgetiness when it came to like, I gotta click something, I gotta check something, even though I just checked it 30 seconds ago. It was also, I felt like I was enjoying reading less, which is very sad. Um, I've been an avid reader for most of my life, and I actually remember getting that feeling. It's like, wow, I do need to spend less time on screens because even when I'm reading something, a book that I freely chose to read in my free time, I almost feel like it's like, oh, but I need to be on email or social media and these sort of things. So somehow, all the time on screens was making the print experience, reading experience less pleasurable for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's still true today because I kind of mix between the two, but um, maybe, maybe this strikes a chord with some of you, some of you and uh, maybe motivates the preference for print over digital. Just throwing that out there, but it is the idea that deep reading, immersed reading becomes more of a struggle. Um, interesting book, good overview of a lot of the stuff I'm talking about in terms of like the history, how our eyeballs and brains work and these sort of things. Um, distracted reading, I'll see just a little bit about this in terms of like, there's a lot of things that make us distracted in reading. Uh, our mind wanders, we wanna be reading something else, other people are distracting, and most importantly, social media um, is a very, this, this is the thing I'm most interested in right now, is like social media is really, keeps us in the state of continuous partial attention or state of continuous partial distraction. Um, some research has even shown that, for instance, if you're reading a book, even the mere presence of the device um, is enough to slow us down for reading purposes because we become so trained to this that even when we're reading a book and like purportedly staying on task with these things, just knowing that we could get a notification at a certain time is enough to slow us down by about, I don't know what the, set, the percentage is, but it's a good amount, like between 20 and 40%, because like unconsciously or not, if we actually put a camera to our face while we're doing this, like we still tend to like steal glances at our phone. It's like a trained behavior thing, and it's really, so if you, if you want my personal advice, if you're gonna read a book, like at least just keep the phone, I'm gonna lose that, um, keep the phone out of place um, for uh, uh, while you're trying to like really enjoy the reading experience, and if you can afford to. Um, I bring, this is the, uh, the article I mentioned, the Nicholas Carr one. Uh, very prescient, because it came out in, uh, yeah, 2007 and then 2008 online. But I remember uh, being very skeptical of this, but a lot of it is still uh, thought-provoking um, in terms of these sort of thing. And then another one I bring up, this is a more academic um, uh, way to look at things, but an attention economy, this is becoming more and more of a thing uh, in marketing and also in um, uh, publishing culture. The idea that information continues to grow, but attention is a fixed resource. It's like, yeah, we have access to all of these different things. Attention is something that we spend time with, um, but that doesn't miss. We have too much information and too little time, so we have to be very strategic about the things that we want to read. Um, so this is interesting. I'll, I'll tweet it for any of our academic-minded uh, people in the audience. I'll share a link to this article, but it's worth thinking about. This is in terms of education. Um, I wonder about this. This is me uh, kind of like reaching out a little bit. Bigger picture. I like this cartoon. Uh, this idea of just sort of like useful abbreviations for like how we read online. Like there's the, the too long didn't read. Uh, there's the very short still didn't read it. Uh, should read probably won't. I get. I feel that a lot. Um, read a bit got bored. Skim read missed the point. Read the headline posted angry comments. 
Um, I like this last one because this really gets to the core of um, one of the things I want to talk about um, in this is sort of like, uh, are we becoming trained through social media and because it's because we have information triage in the sense of like, ah, it's too many things to read. It's like, I don't have time to do this. But um, I wonder, I wonder in general, are we becoming less... Uh, less patient, and by patient, I don't just mean like in terms of like reading attention spans. I mean in terms of like, all right, I read the headline, um, I, I have an emotional reaction to this, I'm going to post it. That I worry about. I worry about in a broader sense, in terms of like, um, in, in the last several years, let's arbitrarily say uh, three, three and a half, four years. Um, I feel like a lot of social media discourse has changed from, um, you know, I disagree with you on this thing. Um, as opposed to a, a much more tribal kind of like, I disagree with you and I hate you, um, which has become very pernicious. Um, I worry about this. Uh, I worry about this in terms of like, our attention spans are shrinking, but so is our capacity to be empathetic and to actually identify with other people. Um, that's a big claim to make, but I mean, in terms of like social media, um, these, these are trends that don't necessarily mean they're irreversible, but it's something to think about. Um, this is funny because it's a humorous example, but it's also something we can relate to, either in ourselves or others that we may know. Um, so I wonder, I wonder if it's possible to just slow down a little bit. Um, these are some numbers, um, just to put it into context. Uh, take all of this with a pretty, pretty large grain of salt. I did the math for you, by the way. Um, it, it's, um, uh, yeah, about 28 per day. Uh, I think it's actually much higher than that um, in terms of like uh, how many times we check our phones. Um, but that gives some context for sort of like just how fragmented our attention is. Uh, average amount of distraction, it really depends on who you ask about this. Um, they've done various tests, usability tests, and just sort of like average everyday people sort of things. Um, depends, uh, so checking your phone is one thing. We saw that other statistic about 27, 28, which I think is probably higher. Screen time that we're actually on our phones or devices, um, and it depends, varies from person to person, but 77 times per day. It's like usually, like I've seen statistics as low as, uh, uh, yeah, uh, 60 minutes to uh, four and a half hours and these sort of things, but that gives some context. That's not, that doesn't mean it applies to you or me or whatever. We might be on the lower end or we might be on the much, much higher end, but that's a lot of time on screens. Um, and it depends on uh, what it is we're doing on screens. But uh, this goes with the last slide that I uh, mentioned, but I always like to talk about this one. So some of you, I, I feel like some of you know this one. There's a famous, uh, 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 let's say, example of, uh, I think it was like Science Post or something like that, did the thing about, like, there's a new, the headline looks, looks very catchy. 70% of Facebook users only read the headline of science stories before commenting. And if you, when you actually look at the thing, there's one paragraph of, plausible stuff and the rest is just nothing. It's actually like gibberish and these sort of things. And um, how well can we see that? So that's 64,000 shares. Um, hopefully a lot of people did that ironically, but most people aren't that ironic on the internet. So that's very disturbing. Um, there's, another, there's been a couple of examples like this, but in terms of like this goes with the, you know, read the headline and did the thing, but uh, Slate, uh, and Farad did a very interesting one about, I think his essay was about 3,000 words, and he was talking specifically about how many people he'll lose. Like, this goes back to the F-shaped pattern thing I was talking about, uh, will drop off, and he kind of like counts it through, and uh, says like, all right, by, by, by this point in the, um, 
in the writing, I've lost about half of you. And then by the end, I was like, I expect maybe like 10% of you to still be there by uh, the 2,500 word mark and these sort of things. So I'll share both of these things. Ironically, I'll share the first one. The second one I'll share, just in case you want to like see a breakdown about like, you know, what does this mean for the implications of long form um, articles and these sort of things? And what is our tolerance for articles and length and these sort of things nowadays? Um, these I'll just mention because this is something else that I find very interesting. It's like, why are we so distracted? And I've kind of hinted at some of these things. There's an article that came out in The Guardian about, um, and we, we, we kind of know some of these things um, now, but the, that um, uh, I mean, companies like Facebook and Twitter, they hire Cambridge, Oxford PhDs to kind of figure these things out that know how our brain works really well. Everything that happens is engineered on platforms like Facebook and Twitter and all these things are for a reason. It, there's a reason why it's that shade of red. There's a reason why this app moves or this thing buzzes because it's been engineered specifically to trigger things in our brain and to make us addictive is a tricky word. I find that kind of problematic because it's not addictive in the sense that like a chemical dependency sort of thing. But this idea that it's creating a, a need. And also I'll share these, give me about 30 minutes after this if you want to take a look at the, these things. But the question of like, why are we so distracted? Why am I so distracted? Why are you so distracted? Um, it's not necessarily our fault. Um, there are things we can do about it. We'll get to that at the very end. But um, keeping these sort of things in mind, at least being aware that um, we are being used to some extent by these apps and these social media platforms, is, it's as good a starting point as any. Um, very briefly, I'm going to talk about this. Like you know, you know, FOMO is one of the reasons fear of missing out. We might miss the the, the last, the latest thing that Boris Johnson said. We might miss um, breaking news or these sort of things. Um, we get distracted from distraction by distraction. I like that way of doing it. These are just more examples. Um, I have a bone to pick specifically with the bottom left-hand corner one um, in terms of like this is called infinite scroll. So for anyone that uses Instagram or Reddit or Twitter or one of these things, it's the idea of very like I consider this an example of very meaningless, mindless engagement that it does get us hooked. Like our brains actually turn off after a while. It's like it, I've had this experience, I feel like many of you might have too, where like 30 minutes will go by and be like, oh, it's not, it's not processing anymore, but somehow I'm still doing it. Why am I still doing it? I find this very pernicious in terms of uh, user design and uh, recommend limiting some of these things. But again, all of these things, like you know, the fact that the fact that this is shaped like a human head, the fact that this is like an inbox, you'd be like, ooh, social connection, ooh, this might be a good message or a bad message, I might need to check it, ooh, that's a lot of things, I need to like catch up on these things. Like these are all intentional things that like kind of hijack some of our attention spans when we could be doing other things like reading. It's not all bad though. Um, here's a couple of neat examples, I think, where social media and reading kind of connect in interesting ways. So the New York Public Library designed these beautiful uh, Instagram novels. They're sort of like moving image slash um, uh, word text sort of things, but they're very pretty. They did this with Alice in Wonderland, they did this with a few other public domain ones, and they used the Instagram story, stories feature to make these into very attractive books to get people to read books that maybe normally wouldn't do it. So it's smart, it's meeting readers halfway where they already are on Instagram. Facebook is coming to this um, as well. They released a James Patterson novel through the Facebook Messenger app. It's creative. I don't really, um, I haven't read this one in particular, but I like the, uh, uh, the things that they're trying to do with it to make social media a little more, incorporate social media with reading. So for this particular book, you get it in, you can read the thing, but there's also the, the fictional character has a, a social media profile, will update things based on the story. And it's kind of like, it's extra content, which is clever. I like the idea that they're doing that. And I was like, this has some potential, I think, in terms of like where publishing and reading will go. 
Um, I mentioned this briefly because he had asked this a lot about the goldfish um, attention myth things. Marketers and um, less reputable news sources like to do it. I hate the goldfish myth. The idea of just sort of like, oh, we only have a six second attention span now. Like, well, we can focus on something. Um, and uh, uh, like, you know, we're worse than goldfish. The actual truth, I just mentioned this just because it comes up a lot. There's no such study about the goldfish um, attention span thing. It's another one of these kind of like headline things that no one bothered to check. Um, it's really hard to check um, goldfish attention spans because they're fish. And the other reason is like they found like they're about average in terms of just sort of like if, if there were a way to like measure how focused uh, goldfish are, they're probably about as focused as any other fish out there. Um, so keep that in mind, like whenever you see some of these things. Some of it is it to scare us. Um, I bring these up to like, think about this. I'm going to wrap up and stop talking so that we have a little chance to chat. Can you still get lost in a good book? And can you do it on a screen? Is it easier or harder to do on a screen and why? Um, talk about these sort of things. How do we decide what to read? And like this comes from like social media, like we used an example to open. Um, I'll post an article about this one in terms of like Netflix and uh, Amazon algorithms because I find it very interesting. I think books are very, I like personal recommendations from people that I know saying, it's like, okay, maybe they know me a little bit rather than uh, an algorithm is basically this idea of kind of like, all right, everyone that buys the sort of books that you buy is also likely to buy this, but that doesn't account for individual tastes and how you feel at a given moment. So it's not a great recommendation thing necessarily. I just want you to think about the sort of things. Social media, I'll, I'll share a couple of things about social media, book social media that I find very interesting. I barely touched on Goodreads, but I think this is worth uh, bringing up in terms of like communities of readers. There are lots of communities of readers. If you want to get the most out of Goodreads, I'll bring up a few examples. Um, I really like these two books in case you're interested in like more of the things that I'm talking about. These are all just quick um, teaser things um, that I've mentioned here. But Reader Come Home by Marion Wolf. She's a neuroscientist who studies reading in the brain and how our brains change through screens and through reading. Very interesting. Uh, Naomi Wolf is another one. Um, she is a professor in the US. And she talks about a lot of the things I'm talking about and why, why we seem to prefer um, print and uh, uh, over digital and these sort of things. And might that change? Very quickly, I'm just going to share these on links. But in case we want to be less distracted, here's one of my favorite apps. If you really, um, I am going to move this because I'll totally forget it. If you really want to be off your screen um, for a certain amount of time, you can do internet blockers and sort of like it's it's the tough love approach of kind of like all right, I really need to like you know focus or whatever. Um, it'll plan things ahead in advance and be like one hour, no internet, no Twitter, no email, no notifications, and these sort of things. So I find it very. I use this one when I'm writing all the time. Uh, I recommend it. You can even have a locked mode, so it's hard to cheat, which I've cheated before in terms of like, oh, I really need to check this thing five minutes into my one-hour session. Um, so keep this in mind. Very useful tool. Moment is another good one. You can do... I recommend everyone do this at least once. So Moment is a free app. Um, you can do a screen time self-audit on yourself and be like... It's worth doing at least for once uh, to see like where you're at in terms of most people will be like, I don't feel like I spend that much time on screens. I prefer Moment over um, Apple Screen Time or the Android version because I think this is a little more granular. But it'll actually show you and where you uh, relate to other people of a similar age profile if you want to include that sort of thing. But I was like, all right, so a bad day might be um, uh, 29 pickups isn't that bad. Six hours of screen time on your device, um, and that's um, 40, 40 hours a week. Uh, you might be surprised by this. And it's like, no judgment, you know. 
Um, but like try it, try it at least once in terms of like, you know, download the Moment app and then see like what your habits are. Like just notice. I think that that's still a good start in terms of like, when am I most distracted? When am I using the screen the most? Can I carve out screen free time? And what would this mean for my habits and these sort of things? So try it. I recommend you try it at least once. Uh, Moment is a good app. Um, I'll send out a link to the Center for Humane Technology. Technology. Um, it gives you some examples on like ways to uh, uh, cut down your screen time if you want to. Um, that's the last thing. Has your own uh, like we have time? I talked a little more longer than I wanted to. Sorry, but like we have time for maybe one or two quick questions. But just think about this. Has your own reading habits changed over the last several years? How do you feel about it? How distracted am I when I read? And does it matter all that much? That's a that's a like I don't want to feel like I'm leaning in one direction or another. So the tweets will be up later. Feel free to um, if you have questions because I may not be able to get time to talk to everyone today. But like find me on the Twitter or the email, and I will putting links on there in about the next hour or so. So like if anything I've talked about sounds interesting, uh, feel free to get in touch, we could talk more. I love talking about this st stuff to everybody. So if you have questions, get in touch. But I think that's it for now, thank you. I think we're out of time, right? There's, there's one or two questions, maybe. Okay. Okay, if you have to go to other talks, uh, feel free. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But any other questions or comments real quick while we're still here? And I'll wait outside in case we want to talk um, in person. Uh, yes? Ooh, that's harder to do because... Yeah, so are there, uh, the question was, are there similar reports uh, that I showed for the Jelly Books thing about completion rates of reading books, uh, like for eBooks and that sort of thing? There is, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's much more self-reported, so it's, it relies on people's memories and these sort of things, and um, it does exist. If I can find it, I'll share a link to it, um, which is interesting, but it's harder to do, so that's why we, they, resort to spying on people and devices, more accurate. Not a great answer. Uh, yeah, one more question. That was really interesting. Thanks. You talked as if reading involves reading every word, but if I were teaching somebody how to read well, mm -hmm. I'd teach them to do the F thing. I'd teach them to think, actually, sometimes the headline's just the best thing to read. You know, there are, what you teach at university when you're teaching somebody to read is absolutely what not to read. Mm -hmm. um, I think F.R. Levis uh, once said that the critic has his economies. You know, you, there are things which you don't need to read and there are things that you do. Yeah, that's a really good question um, in terms of just sort of like, we don't always read the same for the same purposes for the same kind of reading. Um, that'd be my short answer in terms of like, yeah, sometimes we have to read strategically where um, there isn't necessarily, it's like the, in the US we call it the clean plate club, the idea of like you have to eat all the food on your plate. Um, to some extent, like reading is sort of like that. Some things just simply aren't worth your time in terms of like it's good enough to get the gist of it. I use the, the, the fake science headline example as a kind of a humorous reminder that we shouldn't rely on this all the time and just rely on headlines and only eight, reading eight words to think we understand an argument. But you're right in terms of just sort of like, yeah, sometimes we need to read quickly and like efficiently in terms of like, all right, I understand what this person is saying. The next thing, when you start going into like a quicker mode, this is an example of the main point. This is an example of something else. And that is a virtue in itself. We don't always read the same way for the same reasons, I think is like a good point to mention. How about one more question? We do one more? Yes. Okay, two more. Um, you talked about uh, the gambling, and it, you said that it wasn't a chemical reaction. Um, with the young people that get, or anybody who gets addicted to needing their phone. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm, I'm challenging you here. Is it not a chemical reaction because it's an emotion in our body wanting to crave that? Does, does that want to interact, not create a chemical reaction? So it's like gambling. No, that is worth it. So the question was, uh, oh, it was on the microphone, so I don't need to repeat it. Yeah, the, the idea of sort of like, because I talked about addiction and I hedged my wording a little bit on that. Um, at least right now, it's hard to say. Like, I understand what you're saying in terms of like that dopamine rush, like which is a real thing. Um, it is an addiction in the same way. It's been harder to test in terms of like being addicted to like a hard drug or these sort of things. Like, you know, I haven't seen it at least in terms of like social media addicts are addicts in the same way that hard drug users are. Um, so there's like some terminology, I guess, like we could say, I guess I prefer dependent in terms of like we feel more dependent on these sort of things. Like we need to check, we need to do these uh, sort of things. But this is a good question. Um, in terms of the neuroscience stuff, I'm not as a neuroscientist, so I can't like say this for sure, but um, you're probably right. There is sort of like, because these things are engineered this way, like it does generate a certain response. If we like put someone in an MRI tube and did some of these things, like yeah, certain regions in the brain are certainly gonna light up. And I would even imagine that the more we use them, the more that we kind of like fall into that same pattern. So, yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's a good, so the, with, yeah, I think that's good evidence for that. The idea of social media withdrawal, which I would say is like, yeah, preferably don't go cold turkey if you can. Kind of like, like taper things off. For me, it's just like caffeine. Um, I crash really bad if I stop drinking caffeine right away, but if I kind of like meter it down to like, okay, instead of five cups, I'm gonna go down to two cups and then one cup and these sort of things. So that, that's a pretty good uh, idea that there is something going on. But yeah, interesting point.